Right, let's continue on and let's look at our scripture. Uh, we are looking at the shepherds uh, today. And uh, the title of this sermon is A Heavenly Announcement. And this is Luke 2, 8 through 20. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. The word of the Lord. Well, I was 19 years old. It was 1990, spring in Charlottesville, and I was interested in a girl. No, it wasn't Lee Ellen. It was another girl whose name must not be named. There was only one problem. It was spring break. I was at UVA, and she was at James Madison University, and I didn't have a car. But I needed to go see if there were any reciprocal feelings, so I wondered, how am I going to get there? Well, I had this bicycle, and it's only 60 miles, after all. Now, there is the one small point of the uh, Blue Ridge Mountain Range that is in between Charlottesville and Harrisonburg, but how hard could that be? And so I embarked on a journey uh, in the rain, I might add, uh, riding up uh, a busy, crowded Route 29 uh, to head up and cut over on 33, and always going swimmingly for a while. You know, the thing about the Blue Ridge Mountains is you don't realize when they start. It's a slow incline, but it gets steeper and steeper and steeper. And so once I turned the corner on Route 33 and started going up, after a while, I noticed that I was getting more and more tired. And it did not take long before the Blue Ridge Mountains broke me. And I did what any self-respecting 19-year-old kid who doesn't know any better would do. I stuck out my thumb. And lo and behold, a trucker picked me up, threw my bike in the back, and we headed to Harrisonburg. I ended up connecting and talking with this gal, and it didn't lead very, very far, uh, luckily uh, for me. But uh, I learned a lesson from that journey, and it's simply this. It's an axiom that's true in life. What you desire, you pursue. And what you pursue, you usually find. This story is about pursuing because the gospel comes to a most unlikely audience, these shepherds. But these shepherds, when they heard the message, they desired, and so they pursued. And because they pursued, they found the baby, the Christ, and they rejoiced. 
We too are hearers of the good news of Jesus Christ today. We are hearing the gospel. And the question we must answer is this. How will we respond? For what you desire, you pursue. And what you pursue, you find. The truth of the matter and the point of this sermon is simply this, that the grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ is not for those who deserve it, but for those who desire it. We're going to look at three points that underscore this fact. Number one, we're going to look at the angel's announcement. What is it that the angels shared that sparked a desire in the shepherds to pursue? Second, we're going to look at the shepherds' response, how they responded to the message. And then finally, we're going to look at ourselves and we're going to look at our response. How shall we respond to the message of the gospel? Because the grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ does not come to those who deserve it, but to those who desire it. Let's begin with my first point, the angel's announcement. We see that it was a normal day for the shepherds or a normal night, I should say. And in the same regions, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flocks by night. Little information about these shepherds. They stayed out in the fields with their flocks of sheep. And because of that, they were considered religious outcasts. Because they were dealing with unclean animals, they could not participate in the temple observances and the various Jewish festivals. They were religious outcasts. They were not only religious outcasts, they were also social outcasts. They spent all of their time in the fields. They didn't really have time to develop a family, develop normal relationships with people because they were always gone. They were always in the field. And so they were considered social outsiders. They lived a mundane, ordinary existence. They weren't necessarily considered uh, the most, uh, what would the word be? Uh, The kind of people you wanted to have at a dinner party. Let's put it that way. But the angel of the Lord appears to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. And it says that they were filled with great fear. They received this message from the angel. In fact, the word angel literally means messenger. And as this angel comes, the glory of the Lord shines around them. Imagine if you're a shepherd living your mundane existence and this angel descends upon you and the glory of the Lord, the Shekinah glory representing the presence of the Lord came around them. They responded as we thought they would. It says that they were filled with great fear. Not just filled with fear, they were filled with great fear. They were scared down to their boots. Now, why were they filled with great fear? I think obviously to experience something like that must have been amazing, but I think it's more than simply that. See, when the holiness of God comes... It magnifies the sinfulness of man. These shepherds, in the presence of the holiness, the purity of God's messenger and of God's glory, are acutely aware that they don't deserve to be in the presence of God. You know, the first time we actually see fear in the Bible, fear in mankind, is in the garden. It's Genesis 3.10. When after Adam and Eve had eaten of the apple and and God walks in the garden... They hide. And the scriptures literally say, you know, when when I heard you were in the garden, I, I was afraid and so I hid. They were afraid because of their sin in the presence of the glory of God. See, all people, shepherds or us, have rebelled against God. 
and have invoked God's displeasure by living not in accordance with God's will and God's ways. And the reality is, save for a Savior, we all face impending judgment. As Hebrews 9.27 says, just as man is uh, destined to die once, and after that to face judgment. And so God's presence and our presence is like oil and water. And so they're filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. How can they not fear? There's this issue of sinfulness. The literal translation would be something like this. Don't be fearing. Instead, be perceiving. I am telling you the gospel. See, the angel is saying the reason you don't have to fear is because I am going to tell you the good news. I am telling you the gospel. That's why the angel has come, to tell them the gospel, the gospel that will transform their lives. See, the gospel has these effects upon people. Number one, it banishes fear. Because fear is based on sin, as I just explained. And if the angel is saying, fear not, what the angel is communicating is that the gospel banishes the record of sin that each one of us has in our lives. It takes it away, so to speak, so that we no longer have to fear the presence of God. In fact, because of the gospel, God is actually pleased with the Christian because they have the record of the righteousness of Jesus Christ upon them. And so the angel isn't simply saying flippantly, hey, don't worry about it. Everything's going to be okay. No, he's saying, fear not. Don't be fearing, but rather be perceiving. I am telling you the gospel, the gospel that banishes fear. But we also see that the gospel brings peace. Verse 14, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. What does peace mean? It literally means the end of enmity and warfare. And the most fundamental peace that one can find is in their primary relationship, peace with God. See, that's what he's saying, is that I've come to bring you this gospel which not only banishes fear, but brings peace between God and you. God's righteous law demands that he passes judgment on us. And there is a holy wrath that God has. But because this sin is paid for, the only thing that remains between God and man is peace. See, this peace affects the record between God and man, but it also affects our hearts. Because the reality is each one of us in our hearts wants to be king. But the gospel softens our hearts. It frees us from having to be in control of our lives. It gives us the power to submit to his rule. This is the message that the angel is bringing, that I've come, that you might have uh, an absence of fear, that you might have peace, and then finally you might have joy. Luke uh, 2.10 says it this way, And the angel said, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news. I'm telling you the gospel of great joy that will be for all the people. How does the gospel bring joy? It's quite simply this way. If God is really for me, who can be against me? 
If God really loves me, I don't have to fear rejection. I don't have to fear failure. All the things that I do wrong, all the things that I can't do, all the things that I won't do, because I have God and he loves me. If I have God through the gospel, I don't have to fear the future or circumstances because God is with me and he's for me. And lastly, I don't have to fear death. I don't have to fear judgment. I'm right with God and all will be well. The gospel brings joy. It brings peace and it banishes fear. But notice this, the angel continues on and explains what is the gospel. He says, don't be afraid, don't be fearing, be perceiving. I'm telling you the gospel. For unto this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ, is a, uh, a Savior is born, who is Christ the Lord. In other words, notice that word for. It tells us that the gospel is a person. More accurately, the gospel is a rescue plan undertaken by God's chosen one, Jesus Christ. The gospel can be seen, it can be touched, it can be felt. It's God's rescue plan in the flesh. This baby who is born is the one to free us from sin, is the one to make peace between God and man and to bring joy to our hearts. It's no mistake that Jesus is called the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Isaiah 53, 5 and 6 put it this way, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray, and each has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You know, it makes perfect sense in some ways why the shepherds would be the first ones to receive the message. Because they, above all people, would be able to recognize a lamb. The lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So the gospel has come into the world and his name is Jesus Christ. And there's never been a greater hope for mankind. I'm sure we are all familiar and tracking with COVID-19 on a daily basis. So far, the tabulations are this. Around the world, there have been 76 million cases of COVID-19 with 1.7 million deaths. For most people, COVID is not an issue. You get it, you either have some mild symptoms or no symptoms and you're fine. But for some people, it is a killer. And the issue has been that there has been no cure. Well, there is a cure, a vaccine that is coming out now. See, a COVID-19 vaccine, what it does is it creates an antibody response. So your body doesn't have to become sick with COVID-19. And I think it's Pfizer that's come out with the first one. The news report says that the FDA has given emergency use authorization for the Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine. Data has shown that the vaccine starts working after the first dose and has an efficacy rate of 95% seven days after the second dose. That means that about 95% who get the vaccine are protected from becoming seriously ill. That's powerful stuff. But we're talking in this sermon about a greater infection, are we not? It's sin. 
and it affects all of us. And unlike the COVID-19 vaccine, where 99% of people are okay, sin is 100% fatal. But the angel has come to the shepherds and has communicated that a solution has come. Don't fear. Be perceiving. I am telling you the gospel. It's good news, for a child has been born. So what is the message of Christmas that you are receiving this year? It's a friendly, harmless holiday where we get together, we drink some eggnog, we pass some presents, we sort of get the Christmas cheer, and then we put up our lights, and then we go home. No, a vaccine has been brought into the world. Christ the Lord, a Savior is born, and we do need a Savior. Do you realize that? The gospel is the cure. It's the rescue plan that God has given to us. And this rescue plan not only makes us well, it banishes fear. It brings peace, and it brings joy. So as the angel says, don't be fearing, be perceiving. Notice that word. We must be perceiving as to what the gospel really is. We must reject the false message of Christmas. We must stare deeply into the gospel. And we must connect the dots of what the gospel actually means for our lives. And we must be perceiving, meaning we must keep doing it again and again. Well, that was the angel's announcement. How about the shepherd's response? Verse 15, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. So what is it the shepherds did? How did they do? What is, how did they respond? They responded in five ways. Number one, they decided let us go over to Bethlehem. Why? Because the Lord has made this thing known to us. In other words, the Lord has taken the time to come to us humble shepherds and to announce to us the gospel. See, they wanted the gospel. They wanted peace and joy and reconciliation with God. They wanted to see this thing that had happened. In fact, they needed to see the proof that the words, of the, the words of the angel were true because the gospel is not an abstraction. The gospel is a person. Well, what about the sheep, by the way? Who's watching over the sheep while these guys took off? It appears that they didn't care. They said, we have to go, and so they decided. They decided, and then, number two, they searched. In fact, they searched with haste. You know, unlike the wise men, where the star descended and was directly over the particular house where Jesus was, the instructions didn't tell the shepherds exactly where the Christ child was. Simply said, this will be a sign to you, that you will see a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. Now, that helps to narrow things down, certainly, but they had to search. They had to search out and they had to go from place to place, barn to barn, cave to cave, until they found the Christ child. And so they decided, they searched. Number three, they found. What must it have felt like 
to hear this improbable, unbelievable message from the angel and then to go and to find the very thing that the angel had communicated would be true and to see it, a baby in a manger wrapped in swaddling cloths. They decided, they searched, they found, and then they shared. Look at verse 17. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. See, the shepherds were the first evangelists. We think that there was sort of this, just this interaction between Mary and Joseph and the shepherds, but it would appear more. All who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Mary and Joseph, they already knew. So these these shepherds are evangelizing different people in the town, telling them that the Christ has come. Now, why are they doing that? Well, because when you have good news, you can't help uh, keeping it to yourself. You have to share. Be like some, if someone had the COVID-19 vaccine, they would start communicating to people. Look at what we have here. Look at what it does didn't matter that these guys were social outcasts. didn't matter that they were religious outcasts. They couldn't help but share. And so they shared, and finally, number five, they praised. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. See, the shepherds are no longer the same people as who started out that night. Now, they've been transformed by seeing the Christ, by hearing the gospel. They were telling each other, and then they saw the Christ, and then they were telling others, and now they're telling God themselves. They're praising and glorifying God. The pastures in which they are shepherding their sheep are filled with praise because they have brought the gospel back in their hearts. My friends, worship is the response of a heart that has been set free. They left in fear and they returned in praise. What was the difference? They saw the proof, the the living Christ. They experienced the gospel. I love this story about the English writer and literary critic G.K. Chesterton, who was a... uh, a critic of Christianity, and then he became a believer. He was an eminent writer and critic in London. And it says, standing on a London street corner, the English writer and critic G.K. Chesterton was approached by a newspaper reporter. Sir, I understand that you recently became a Christian. May I ask you one question? Certainly, replied Chesterton. If the risen Christ appeared at this very moment and stood behind you, what would you do? Chesterton looked at the reporter squarely in the eye and said, he is. Christ is alive, as certainly as alive as he was that night, that baby who was born. Through faith, through his Holy Spirit, Christ is here, even though we can't see him, even though we can't touch him. He is as alive and real as he was then. The gospel has been made known to you and me. It's the same gospel and the same Lord as it was for the shepherds that night so long ago. So we must act like the shepherds. We must decide 
to search out Jesus Christ. We must decide not to sit back and live detached lives from the gospel and from God's plan in this world. We must decide and we must search. For the scriptures are very clear. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door shall be open. For if you search out Jesus Christ, you will most certainly find him. For he's still alive and can be received by faith through the Holy Spirit now, here, in this place. We must decide, we must search, we will find, and we must tell. We have been given the great privilege and responsibility of sharing the reality that Jesus Christ is alive and the gospel brings reconciliation between people and God. What a solemn responsibility and what a great privilege. And what a better time to tell than now, during this Christmas season. What a great opportunity to invite someone to come to church. To hear the gospel. Tell and share with people this good news. For it's for all people. For unto you this day in the city of David, a Savior was born. And finally, worship. We have the opportunity to respond to God. To what he's done by bringing us the Savior. By worshiping the Lord. By praising God for all that he's done. All that he's doing in our lives. Let us make our lives lives of worship. Whether corporately as we come together, and that's why it's important to come to church. To be a part of the fellowship of believers whose praise is rising to the Lord. But you can do it with, a fam- with your family. You can do it with a friend. You can do it in the comfort of your own home by yourself. Let your pastures be filled with praise too for what the Lord has done in your life. This brings us to my final point, our decision. There were actually two groups of people that received the message of the gospel that night, but responded very differently. The shepherds and the townspeople, right? The townspeople that the shepherds told. They're different reactions. Why were they different? The shepherds decided, they responded, they searched, they glorified, but it simply says that the townspeople wondered at the message. Markedly different than the shepherds. Why did they respond so differently? Well, it's very simple. It's the messenger that gave the message that affected them. The shepherds were visited by the angel, right? And the heavenly host and the glory of God shone around them, I'm sure it was a magnificent sight. I'm sure it was anything but boring. But the townspeople were told the message by simple shepherds who weren't the most erudite of speech but communicated the exact same message. The message was saying the same, but it certainly was not as impressive. And here's the reality, get this. If a message is challenging or hard to believe, it is easy to dismiss it by focusing on the messengers rather than on the message. I mean, in many ways, we're in the exact same boat as the townspeople, are we not? The authors of the Bible, the ones that wrote these passages that I'm preaching on, they, they got their, the message from the angels or maybe from Jesus himself. And we get a book. The Bible is a long book and not a simple read at that. 
And the message is preached by ordinary people like myself, sometimes uninspiring. I'm not saying it's uninspiring today, but perhaps. It is extraordinarily easy to not really hear the word of God because it comes to us through such non-spectacular means. In our culture, we believe that the medium is the message. If you want a big message, a big thing to be communicated, then you have to communicate it with lights and fireworks and everything else. But we must beware of ignoring the message simply because it's delivered by shepherds or uninteresting preachers. What's the solution? The solution is we must be like Mary. Look at verse 19. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. To ponder means to put in context, to connect, to think something out. Mary was not distracted by the fact that it was shepherds. She concentrated on the message. What does this mean? What does it mean for me? How will it affect my life? How must I live now? We must do the same. We must ponder the message of the gospel in our hearts. That's why we have the Advent season, a time of reflection and pondering on what has happened on planet Earth. But Mary not only pondered this message, she treasured up all these things. The word treasured in Greek means to keep something alive or to savor. Deals with the heart and the emotions more than the head. It's attitude more than aptitude. It's preaching to yourself. It's asking yourself questions like this. How would my life be different if I really believed this from the bottom of my heart? How would it change my thinking, my feeling, my actions? How would it change my relationships? How would it change my prayer life, my feelings and attitude toward God? That's the proper response that we must have to ponder these things, to treasure them up in our hearts. I don't know if you do this, uh, but uh, it's easy to fall prey to this. You uh, come to church and you go home or uh, you talk to someone else and uh, they ask, how was, how was church? How was the sermon? Eh, it was good. Or it was, uh, it was okay. Really, what we're communicating is how was the delivery of the sermon, right? When the important point is not how was the delivery of the sermon, but rather what of God's truth did you hear today? What is God saying to you? See, it's another Christmas, and I've preached on all of these subjects before. It's very easy to take this sermon and put it on a shelf. But it's the same promises of the gospel that have been given to the shepherds as have been given to us today. It's the same person. Jesus is a living Savior. The shepherds abandoned their agenda and they pursued the Christ and found him. And you can also find him by faith. So don't be fearing, be perceiving, for I'm telling you the gospel. Treasure these things, 
Ponder them up in your hearts. Ask the question, how would this affect me if I believed? For the grace of the gospel of Jesus does not come to those who deserve it, but to those who desire it. Let us desire it like the shepherds this Christmas season. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this example of these simple shepherds that heard the good news of the gospel, the gospel that banishes fear, that brings peace, and that brings joy, and they responded. God, let us also not be like the townspeople, but by the shepherds. And like Mary, let us ponder this gospel and treasure it up in our hearts, applying it to our lives. For if we desire you and seek you, we will surely find you. That is the whole promise, the whole premise behind you who have come near. And so we thank you and thank you and thank you for this beautiful gospel. We pray all of it in Christ's name. Amen.